Let's go. Is it recording? Yeah. You're positive. <laughs> I can see that's recording. We had a couple of mishaps Uh-oh. where one or the other was not <laughs> recording. We had for both Kelly and, um, and Nate. Nate. Oh yeah. my god! Redo gosh. the intro. <laughs> so it wasn't like terrible Mental. though. Mental. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now we're just super careful yes. about everything yeah. that we do. Just paranoid. That's all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and then a little paranoia had, never hurt. Anybody. We also had a mishap where Justin turned that thing off, or you disconnected, or something, or and turned lost off that. the whole podcast. Oh my god! And it was just like a pod 45, between us, yeah. two, at least. Oh. All right, we're all going barefoot, huh? We're letting the dogs bark. Letting the dogs bark. Yeah, it's better. Uh, for you know, you. a lot of people charge extra for this. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No free content. Okay, so subscribe and like. And also send us $5. Aaliyah, put your uh, Venmo. We'll put it We'll put it down somewhere. Should we put emojis over our toes? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what you should do for money. Oh, I put finder. Um, feet pics can sell for a lot of money. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. We just had the LRX girl, Christina, talk to us about um, her kit. Well, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't put that up there. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. So anyway, There's a, there are options. There are options. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another pod counterculture. I'm your host, Justin. And Heather. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest, a friend of ours, Aaliyah Miller. Oh <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> so Aaliyah, when we start the pod, what we've been doing is we've been giving people flowers, hypothetical flowers or what? not hypothetical. What's the word? Um. Oh my God, I forgot what the word was. Whatever we give symbolic. flowers, symbolic, symbolic flowers, <laughs> and by that we mean we give them a compliment, figurative. Yeah, figurative flowers. Figurative flowers. We give them compliments, and so we met you. We'll get into how we met you, but I remember when we first met you. I mean, obviously, we didn't know who you were at all, and I was like kind of nervous to meet you because we were gonna stay in a house with you for like four days. <laughs> I know. Uh, you well, Ashley told you, I think. Oh yeah, the semifinals athlete, and then you, and then you told me that I was like, "What?" Ooh. Yeah, yeah, we were nervous because like, no, I mean, CrossFit yeah. fangirl. Yeah, she's a <laughs> so it was a big deal, and so, uh, but I just remember literally after the weekend was done, I was like, "Aaliyah is one of the sweetest people I've ever actually met," and like you just like cared, you know, and you let Heather train with you. You were gonna let us train with you, and I've had my my run-ins with like CrossFit people. I was telling you before where I'm just like, damn, they are a dud. Like, I just can't stand this person, you know? And you were not one of those people. And I was super happy that we actually got to have the time to spend with you. And so, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a really good time. That means so much to me. Thank you. Yeah, dude, of course. I just, one of my biggest things is I just always want to be genuine. And yeah. Like, I'm, I, <laughs> it's funny that you were like nervous to be in a house with a semifinals athlete because I absolutely do not see myself that way. Like, I I don't see myself as somebody that people would be like nervous or excited to meet or anything like that mm. because I still feel like I look up to athletes in the sport that way. Yeah. And like I it's funny I was just talking about this at dinner how um you know day 1 at the CrossFit Games today and I had like 10 people come up to me and ask to take a picture with me like strangers. Yeah. And, and I was like, this is so weird that people like know who I am and want to talk to me and meet me. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, three, four years ago, I was watching semifinals, 
seeing these athletes at semifinals yeah. and just thinking, oh my God, I want to be them. Like yeah. that's what I want to do and they're doing it. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, wait. I'm doing it. You're doing the thing. <laughs> doing that's it. me now. Yeah, that's what it's we're talking weird. about. Yeah. <laughs> but I genuinely, I think you need to get used to that because I think like, you, I think you're like more famous than you probably think you are. <laughs> right? Right? Because we. I, yeah, I think so. On our way up here, we were like, we're like, maybe we should like, because we it's been a long time since we like seen each other. Like, maybe we should listen to a podcast that she's been on because I always see that you're on something, you know? And um, so we started listening to one and we had to turn it off because it was like too crossfit to get prepared for what we're going to talk to you about. But yeah, I think like you're all over the place and pe- everyone knows who you are. Savan knows who you are. Andrew Hiller knows who you are. With him? Sure. Um, I-, I was on Shut Up and Scribble with uh, okay, that's Taylor and JR. Yeah. yeah. Which is <laughs> that cool. was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't listen to it yet. I With Monster Games and stuff, I'm very behind on my podcast. But <laughs> I feel that. I, I need to catch up on my way back and forth to Madison. I will be. <laughs> yeah. So get used to it, sister, because you're famous. Yeah. You're on your way there. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. A little brief intro to Aaliyah. She, I mean, you've done a lot of things, I feel like, like a lot of things. Um, You were in the military. Mm-hmm. What were you, what exactly did you do? Army? Um, so I was in the army. Yep. Okay. She was army. You went to college. Mm-hmm. You went to grad school. Yep. And you are also doing the CrossFit thing. Yes. Did I miss grad anything school, PhD, else? PhD, right? You have a PhD? I did or not master's. finish my PhD. Oh, okay. yeah. I finished my master's and then I left my program. We'll okay. get into that for yeah. sure because I really <laughs> want to get there. But um, did I miss anything? Um, I coach. You coach? And um, I'm trying to think of. Anything else? I think that's like the big things. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, sweet. So give give a little, I gave the briefest intro that I could think of. Now, I want you to kind of explain, like if somebody comes up to you and talks to you, like what do you do? Who are you? Where do you come from? Yeah, all right. So, um, well, right now I'm a CrossFit athlete. Yeah, heck uh, And a CrossFit coach. Um, I, for most of my life, like childhood, thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, I went to undergrad, uh, for pre-med and I majored in neurobiology. Um, I was in the ROTC program while I was in undergrad for the army. Um, so when I graduated from undergrad, I commissioned into the California national guard as an officer in the army. And, uh, my plan was to take a year, study for the MCAT, take the MCAT, apply to med school. Um, I ended up asking a professor if she would write me a letter of recommendation. She offered me a position in her research lab. She was looking to hire a lab manager. Um, I had never done any scientific research before, uh, but I figured, hey, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Why not? Were you getting paid for that? Yeah. Okay. It was like a regular full-time job. Awesome. Um, Took that year, applied to med school, took the MCAT, applied to med school, uh, I applied to over 40 med schools. Um, I, I took out, I took out Holy a loan. Shit. I was going to say that had to have been so expensive. Yeah. yeah. Just I to apply out, to med yep. schools. I took out like a $5,000. It's loan expensive. How much does it cost? I didn't even know oh that my it costs money. So you have to pay for your primary application, yeah. which is the same application that gets sent to every med school, but you have to pay for every med school you want to send it to. Are you? And kidding? then if you want to apply to Texas med schools, you have to do a separate primary application because Texas has it's a their different own country. system. 
<laughs> yeah, Texas is its own country. Um, and then I, med school applications is literally just a money-making scheme for med yeah. schools. Because on, that's once general. you submit your primary, as long as you meet like certain minimums for GPA, MCAT score, whatever, they're going to send you an invitation to submit a secondary application. And then the secondary application is when they'll ask you a bunch of like short answer essay questions mm. and you have to pay to submit your secondary application. You have to pay again? Yes. What? Um, so primary application, you write your personal statement, which is like the, you know, why do you want to be a doctor? Mm. Um, but then the secondary application, each school has their own set of questions and they're all very similar but they find a way for them to be just different enough that you have to write a new short essay no for way. every school. Oh my God. What a scam. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, after secondary applications, then comes interview invitations. Um, some schools do like a virtual preliminary interview to decide whether or not they want to invite you for an in-person interview. Oh my God. Um, I didn't get a single interview. Now wow. I'm really happy I went to PA school. <laughs> Right. Well, imagine it's not just the application fee; it's the traveling and all yep. that too. Yep. But mm-hmm. okay, so you you did not get one did invite. Not get a single interview. Wow. Um, and you applied to forty. Forty over forty. Yep. Did you ever reach out to any of them and like ask? No. no. And it's it's like they get so many applications. It's literally just a numbers game. And wow. I, like I didn't have a four That's what I was okay. gonna say. Did you have, have the have things they want? Yeah, I had like a three point seven, three point eight. I thought maybe. I thought that was all you really needed for med school. It's not anymore. (laughs) And so the other hard part of it, for me at least, was um, a lot of the schools, well, every every school had some question on their secondary application about diversity. Mm. And as a white female, the majority of applicants to med school right now are females. So like in most of the world, being a female is considered like a minority because a lot of things are very male dominated, but med school applications are female dominated. (laughs) And so I also, um, you know, I, I didn't come from, uh, like a financially challenged childhood. Mm -hmm. I didn't live in like a, uh, you know, an an underserved area. You weren't diverse enough. yeah, Yeah. I didn't have anything in that, category that I could really be like, hey, I bring this to yeah, school. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a, a big part of it. But I think another big part of it, and this was kind of like reflection after the fact, um, I think through the application process and having to answer over 40 times, why do you want to be a doctor? I realized that I didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and I, I have a feeling that probably came through in my applications yeah um because i i don't think that i don't think that most of my applications in retrospect were actually genuine Hmm. at the time i might have thought they were genuine (laughs) but i don't think they really were um because so why did you think that you wanted to go to med school then so or was that your plan well yeah she said since a kid you wanted yeah it was just like you know when you're young it's like oh what do you want to be when you grow up and you Mm -hmm. get doctor, astronaut, president, and like, president, what other options do you get? That's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know what was out there in the world. And so, you know, as a kid, I said doctor, and then it just stuck with me. 
Uh, I had the same thing. And I didn't consider anything Me too. Mm-hmm. And I became a doctor. <laughs> well, I became a fan, but... <laughs> Um, but I, I just never, I never considered anything else because I didn't know, I didn't even know what else existed. Yeah. Um, and so it was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I didn't get into med school and I started to realize like, Hey, <laughs> don't think this is actually the career path for me. How long did you spend on those applying and it was a, getting a rejected? A year. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So my first year out of undergrad, that was, um, I was working in the research lab mm-hmm. and I was doing med school applications. Okay. Um, I worked in the research lab for a couple more years after that. And um, after I realized that med school wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, um, I was like, well, this research is kind of fun. Maybe I want to go to grad school. So I applied to grad school. Um, I ended up getting into a PhD program at Princeton for neuroscience. And I started that in 2016. Um, at the time, I was still in the California Army National Guard. Um, I did an interstate transfer to the New Jersey National Guard. And I started grad school in like the fall of 2016. What were you, uh, what were you specifically studying? Because I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember you telling me because we kind of um, when I was in college, I actually switched my major to neuroscience from kine- kinesiology. And um, I was just broke as fuck, so I needed to leave college and I needed to go make money. <laughs> so I didn't get to follow that path. But I remember we kind of had like a similar interest. I want you to talk about that a little bit. What like were you studying? Like the research I was doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, my research in grad school mainly focused on dopamine and reward learning. Mm-hmm. And so I was studying um, the, the dopamine pathway involved in operant reward learning. So yeah. there's... Uh, two different types of reward learning. One is Pavlovian, which is um, like when you think of Pavlov's dog, he rings mm-hmm. the bell and the dog starts drooling because yeah. he's made this connection that when he rings the bell, he's going to get a steak. Yeah. Um, so that's some sort of stimulus. In this case, it was an auditory stimulus hearing the bell ring. And then the response was drooling because the dog expects food. Right. Um, so that's Pavlovian reward learning. Yeah. I was studying operant reward learning, which instead of a stimulus creating a reward response, it's an action creating a reward response. Okay. So um, I would train cohorts of mice on a behavioral task, mm-hmm. and they would have uh, they would be in a box with two levers, and depending on which lever they pressed, there would be a different probability that they would receive a sugar water reward. Um, so they would want to press the levers because mice love sugar water. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I was, and so there the action is press the lever reward response because you're expecting sugar water. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it wasn't always a hundred percent probability of receiving that reward, um, we could look at what happened when the mouse was expecting a reward and got the reward. We could yeah. look at what happened when the mouse was expecting a reward and didn't get a reward. Um, at different time points within the task, the probabilities on the levers would switch. So then one lever that was the high probability of reward would become the low probability of reward. Uh-huh. And the mouse would have to learn like, hey, this lever that was giving me a lot of sugar water is no longer giving me as much sugar water. So I need to learn to press the other lever. Um, and so we could, we could look at a lot of different, um, 
just like time points within that reward learning process, like how many lever presses does it take for the mouse to realize that the probabilities have switched? Right. Um, what are those dopamine neurons doing during this whole process? Yeah. So the three methods that we would use, we would either activate dopamine neurons at specific time points during the task. We would inhibit dopamine neurons during specific time points in the task. Or we would just image the activity of the dopamine neurons throughout the task. Interesting. Um, and the, the goal was to try and figure out what that pathway is encoding when you are learning a reward learning task, basically. That's so, because I could have so many questions on your <laughs> CrossFit stuff based off of the things that you studied. Have you ever like taken that into practice? Like the things that you studied? I haven't. But would it be applicable, do you think? Yeah, I, I do think it would be an interesting topic to go into. The So the problem that I had and, and a big reason why I left grad school, um, I felt like... I was doing things that were so specific and so like down in the nitty gritty. I could not find a way to see the bigger picture value. In I remember what I you was talking doing. about that too. Yeah. Um, like it was, and, and science as a whole and especially neuroscience because it's a newer field, mm-hmm. um, with this whole publisher parish mentality in academic research, if you are not constantly publishing, you lose your funding, you lose your lab. Yeah. And you are not going to get published if you're repeating already published experiments. Sure. Yeah. So we make all of these assumptions for our research based on published experiments, mm-hmm. but those experiments haven't necessarily been repeated and fully understood by other people within the field. Um, and, and like if, if you try to repeat it, you're basically just wasting time and money because nobody's going to publish that. And that's time that you could be spending on research that nobody has done yet that will get published and get you more grant money and keep your lab running. Um, so we would make these assumptions based on basically data that one one lab was like yeah this is how it is and everybody else is like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) got it uh and then if you did try to repeat some experiments uh you know we would have issues where it's like hey we can't replicate the results in this research paper because the their mice live in a vivarium that's kept at 78 degrees and our mice live in a vivarium that's kept at 77 degrees or their mice are handled by women and our mice are handled by men. And like there, there were literally differences in scientific results based on whether the mouse handlers were male or female. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so I just got to a point where I was like, all right, if, if it has to be, and I understand why it has to be that level of control, because yeah. when you're trying to figure things out, you can't have so much variance. Yeah. You, yeah. you have to have one variable that you focus on or mm-hmm. a very small number of variables you focus yeah. on. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to applying that stuff to the real world, the real world is messy. It's super variable. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like you don't have like, oh, well, we know that this is how it is because the world is at 78 degrees. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I had a hard time reconciling that and, and truly believing that I was doing something productive okay. rather than just kind of like spinning my wheels and filling time. Got it. So then, so you decide, you decide to leave. 
Yes. After how long? Uh, it was about two and a half years. I finished my master's degree. Okay. And then um, when you start in a PhD program, you are... Um, can't remember what the term is, but you're not considered a PhD candidate until you pass your general exam. And there are so many fucking hoops and ladders with this stuff. I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this sounds terrible. <laughs> so, yeah. So, your general exam generally happens between your second and third year. Okay. And that's when you present your research plan hmm. for your PhD to your general's committee. Uh, your general's committee is like, a group of professors within the department who just sit and listen to you present this plan. They read your research proposal. And then after you present what your plan is, they just spend like two and a half hours grilling you with questions yeah. about why you chose certain things, what the previous research says, why you're doing this instead of that. Mm -hmm. What results do you expect? Why do you expect those results? And like, it's, it was the most stressful three hours of my life. <laughs> so you did, yeah. you did this. I okay. did that. So once you pass your general exam, then you're considered a PhD candidate. And at least for my program, you were eligible to apply for an incidental master's degree. So I applied for my master's degree. Um, because it's an incidental master's, it is not a master of science. Okay. So I have a master of arts in neuroscience. What? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that that was... I don't know anything about school, I guess. Well, and the funny either. thing is anybody within neuroscience yeah. would see a master's degree in neuroscience and they would say, okay, so you dropped out of a PhD program because there's no such thing as a master's program <laughs> oh, in neuroscience. No way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> at least there there wasn't a couple years ago. That may have changed at this point, but okay. that was like, you don't, you don't get a master's degree. In, you can't do anything with a master's degree in neuroscience sure. that you couldn't do without a master's degree in neuroscience. Wow, what the heck? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I do have a master's degree, kind of a useless master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that was that was one of the reasons I decided to leave my program. Um, how, another... how far out were you from like, so you did so, that? Oh yeah, that I got my incidental master's in October of 2018. <clears throat> now in... Mid 2023, I have three classmates that started in my cohort of seven. I think three of them are still in grad school. Um, one of them just defended his thesis like two, two or three months ago. Wow. Um, one defended maybe like seven or eight months ago. Okay. And then I think one defended uh, within the past year or two. So, um, that's a long, long yeah. Long <laughs> yeah. So what happens? You would have been a doctor the... by now, right? Probably. I, st I probably still, she'd have a couple have years been left, in grad right? school. No, I mean, if you would have went to med school. <laughs> oh, if I would have went to med school. Yeah. So I'm 31 right now. Yeah. You would have um, been. I, I applied to med school in 2013, 2014. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. So what happens after you get this incidental master's? What what happens after that? So uh, that's when I left my program. Um, initially, I took a leave of absence because I couldn't fully commit to leaving the program completely. Okay. Why? Um, I was scared to close the door. Why? Uh, because I knew that once I came, once I left the program, there was no going back. 
like I would not be able to go back to Princeton. I would not be able to go back to any neuroscience PhD. Program. Because of you or because they would shut the door? Because they would shut the door. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that um, like is that like frowned upon? I'm, uh, yeah, okay. if you drop out of a PhD program, you're probably not getting back into any PhD program. You're just blacklisted. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, dude. Wow, savage. Wow. Yeah. Um Okay. So but then, you so knew you wanted you it was kind of Deep down like, I knew it was like convincing myself that that was the right decision for me was it just because you didn't feel like you were doing something productive <laughs> to like the real world or what was really the what was the so core that was, reason that, that you're was like, part of it another part of it was um it was not a lifestyle i wanted to live okay um i was in lab seven days a week hmm. i was there most days like 10 to 12 hours a day wow um there is no off time like mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist and like my advisor would talk to me about work-life balance but this was the same advisor who her and her husband were both professors in the neuroscience department at mm -hmm. the university they had two kids who they almost never saw because their parents took care of their kids because they were always in lab and she was trying to lecture you on having a work-life balance yeah and she was <laughs> like i have a great work-life balance i was like you're you <laughs> literally here every day for 12 hours. You almost never see... You see your kid to feed him dinner and tuck him into bed. Yeah. Maybe. And some nights they're probably already asleep by the time you get home. Like that's that's not... That might be your work-life balance, but that is not an appropriate work-life balance in my mind. Yeah. And that's not a work-life balance that I want to have for my life. What were the things that like you felt you were missing out on most during that period of time? Like what were the sacrifices that you had to make to live that lifestyle? <laughs> Literally everything. Yeah. Um, I... I got into CrossFit when I moved to New Jersey and started grad school. Um, my previous gym in California, I did a lot of powerlifting, started mm -hmm. learning some Olympic lifting, and I wanted to continue Olympic lifting in New Jersey, and I didn't know where else to go, so I just joined a CrossFit gym. Sweet. Um, and so while I was in grad school, I, I was not like anywhere near the level of athlete that I am now. I was literally just you know taking a one-hour class like four or five days a week. Yeah. Um, and it, what really struck me was when I realized that while I was in lab or while, while I was at the gym, every minute that I was at the gym, I felt guilty for not being in the lab. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Literally an hour a day to yeah. go to the gym and I felt for guilty mm -hmm. for not being in lab. Yeah. And like I... There were, there were people in my department who would make me feel guilty for going to the gym. Nerds. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. Um, but That's it, interesting because yeah, the gym... Yeah, it was gym... like, oh, you're, you're not at lab at 7 a.m. and leaving at 9 p.m.? What's wrong with right. you? Do you, not, do you not care about your research? You must not care. Why, why are you here if you don't care? Like that was the response that I got from a lot of people. That's very interesting, especially for like a neuroscience lab, because you would think that they'd be like pivy to the fact that like you need to take breaks to stay focused or, you know, things like that. Or unless they're all abusing like caffeine, <laughs> like or Adderall and whatever. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So so you chose to leave. Why exactly? Like what, what exactly was the reason that you chose to like 
I think it was a combination of everything. Okay. Yeah. And just realizing that like, you know, feeling like I wasn't um, having the impact that I initially thought research would have mm -hmm. and understanding that it wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. Um, it all kind of just culminated in me realizing that I was very unhappy and like depression is very common in PhD programs and in research in general. Like yeah. it's, it's a lot of work for little to no reward. Yeah. Um, and I started, I don't, I, I was never like clinically diagnosed with depression or anything, but I probably could have been. Okay. Um, it was not a good time in my life. <laughs> yeah. And so I think um, deep down I knew that like the only way, the only way to fix it was to get out. Okay. And then you got out. And then I got out. So good. Awesome. <laughs> and then, no, hold on one second. I'm going to restart this camera. Okay. <laughs> in your 2xl shirt and your size small booty shorts that's why i chose this shirt oh my gosh okay all right all right so um okay so you leave yep so were you making money yes. in the lab okay yeah like, so phd programs in science are generally funded okay um so i was i was making like thirty thousand a year in right. grad school <laughs> did you have a plan like oh, i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do next or like we're like i gotta go get a job yeah, like so no when happened? you decided oh, to when quit when i left oh um i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> i actually i ended up working at i, I worked retail nice. i had a, a master's degree in neuroscience from princeton and i worked retail where'd you at work a, a little gift shop in downtown princeton called yeah. homestead and, princeton and it was probably way better <laughs> and i I actually had a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, I got the job because my roommate's friend had worked there previously. And she said they were looking to hire somebody for, it was like going into winter and Christmas and everything. And they were looking for some seasonal employees. And so she connected me with the owners. And when I met with them for my interview, they were like, you, you realize you're very overqualified for this, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. And, and they're like, it's going to be like, like insulting what we're going to pay you to do this. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. I just need something to pay rent until yeah. I figure out what I want to do with my life. And this is something that I've never done. And I think it's going to be fun and exciting until I figure my shit out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I worked there. I only worked there actually for about three months because uh, right after I started that job, I found out that I was getting deployed. Okay. So wow. um, I was in the New Jersey National Guard at the time. Um, it was the end of 2018. And I left, I think, end of January 2019 um, to start our pre-mobilization training for the deployment. So, okay, let's fit this in real quick. Where, where, where and when does CrossFit fit into all this? You join a gym in Jersey. 
right? Yeah. So started out with the powerlifting, Olympic lifting yep. in California. We mm-hmm. did like a little bit of like CrossFit type stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't a CrossFit gym. Sure. Um, you know, occasionally my coach would make us do burpees and assault bike. <laughs> and I think actually at that, time, at that time it was uh, an airdyne. Nice. <laughs> Dude, the new ones are, are nice. Ooh, I might have to yeah, check this out. Nice. Um, so I moved to New Jersey. Okay. Started this CrossFit gym in 2016. Um, did the open in 2017. Mm-hmm. That was back in the regional days, and in New Jersey, I was in the Northeast region, and in 2017 Open, I finished like 750 in the Northeast. Wow. Wow. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm actually kind of good at this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so for the next year or two, I was like, all right, I want to see what happens if I actually like try. Like, this could be a lot of fun. exactly what Kelly said. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. Okay. So 2018, I finished top 150 in the northeast wow um but at the time you know regionals you had to be like top 20 in the region to qualify for regionals okay so i still had a ways to go but um that was 2018 i was like all right 2019 i'm making regionals Mm -hmm. as uh heather probably knows 2018 was the last year that regionals existed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that was the year that they announced no more regionals they were moving to the sanctionals format um, where you had to do um, all of these like third-party competitions, and if you won one of the sanctionals, then you would qualify for the games, or you had to finish the open. Like, uh, you could qualify in the open, right? Yeah. Um, but Dude, like, top twenty worldwide is insanely yeah. hard to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's how CrossFit should be anyway, doing competitions to get there instead of the open format. I'm, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of like the online stuff. Anyway, I don't on. like the online stuff either, I, and I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. I wish there was a way to have less online competition yeah. for the season. Right. Um, and I'm sure there's a better answer out there. I just don't know what it is yet. Sure. Um. So anyway, you make it. So. It's 2019. 2019. There's no regionals, but it ends up being okay because I ended up getting deployed that year. Okay. So where'd you get deployed again? I went to Qatar. Okay. Um, I spent the 2019 open between three different countries because that was as we were deploying. I was in Texas for part of it. I was in Kuwait for part of it. And I was in Qatar for part of it. Um, And I just didn't have access to what I like the equipment and the space that I would need to be able to do open workouts, nor did I have the time to do them because most of the time we're, you know, doing our pre-mobilization training. We're on 18 hour flights. We're going here, going there, packing up stuff. Like sure. It was just a crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> um, sounds like it. So I did not do the 2019 open. And then for the 2020 season, that was the year that they moved the open to October. Okay. So the 2020 Open was also during my deployment. That's COVID year, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But the Open was October of 2019. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't doing CrossFit yet. Yeah. So they basically were like, hey, we're going to move the Open back to like way earlier so that you know if you're qualifying through the Open and you know that if you didn't qualify for the Open, you have the entire season of sanctionals mm. to figure out how you're going to qualify. Okay. Um, so 2020 open, I was lucky enough that I was able to get to a CrossFit gym off base on the weekends during my deployment. Nice. Uh, not every weekend, but, um, I had a commander who was willing to let me go during the weekends of the open. 
Um, so I got to do the 2020 Open while I was deployed. Um, Sweet. But I, I lost a lot of fitness during my deployment because yeah. before I deployed, um, I was starting to, you know, I would take class, but I was starting to add in like, oh, I'm going to do some, some, a lifting session before class, or I'm going to work on this accessory work after class. Mm -hmm. So it still wasn't a ton of volume, but it was like, I was starting to take it more seriously mm -hmm. and like adding in some extra stuff. And then during the deployment, I just didn't have the time or the resources to be able to train the same way. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I came back early 2020. Um, I've told this story a few times recently, but I remember my first workout back from deployment and it was like a, it was like a 12 minute AMRAP of skier and dumbbell something or other. And it was something where like pre-deployment, I would have been pushing like four five, six rounds. And when I did this workout, I got like maybe two rounds. Damn. And I sat on the floor of the gym and cried for like 10 minutes because wow. I was so sad about the level of fitness that I had lost during the deployment. And I was like, I'm never going to get back to where I was. And all that work was for nothing. And then, you know, within two to three months, I'm basically back to where I was yeah, at. Yeah. Um, but in the moment, it felt like devastating. So at this point, though, was CrossFit like, like in your sight? Were you thinking about possibly trying to go all well, the way with it already? He had decided that in what, 2019, you said? Well, okay, so I decided after the 2017 Open that I wanted to see like what I could do if I tried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but was it a, I like... I did not, at, at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, at that time, my goal was like regionals. Right. Like how cool would it be to go to regionals? And then when they introduced the sanctionals format, it was more like, hey, can I even qualify to compete at a sanctional? Yeah. Because it was like, you know, Wadapalooza, Dubai, Granite Filthy Games, 150, yeah. Granite Games, that all had these online qualifiers. So like mm -hmm. you couldn't even go to the sanctional unless you qualified for the sanctional. Um, and so it was never in my mind of like, I want to make it to the games because I, I didn't think that that was ever going to be a possibility for me. Right. It was more just like, Hey, I want to see if I can compete at a high level, like sure. at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just want to see what I can do and right. where I can go. Um, and then 2020, you know, I, I come back from deployment, the world shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> what timing? Yeah. Right. Um, so, for a couple months, I was able to just train full time because I came back and started applying to jobs, but nobody was hiring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was lucky enough that my deployment qualified me for unemployment. So I was able to collect unemployment and at least survive. <laughs> nice. Um, and so I was just training. And my coach at the time was the owner of the gym and he let me train in the gym while it was closed. Uh, I would be there either with my best friend, Elena, or um, when we ended up having opposite schedules, I would just be in the gym by myself every day training throughout COVID. Um, I ended up... <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, take a sip <laughs> of water. It's so dry. You're good. Mmm. <laughs> um, <sighs> May of 2020, I think, yeah. I got activated by the New Jersey National Guard for the COVID response in New Jersey. 
Um, so then I spent about 14 months on active duty orders, uh, in New Jersey. I was the deputy commander of one of our joint task forces for a while. And then I moved into, um, a position as the state medical planner for New Jersey. Wow. What was that like? That was wild. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Um, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done, but also probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Okay. Um, I, what were you like responsible for? So I worked for the joint surgeon office and we, so the, the unique thing about the national guard is that it can be deployed within the United States, active army, active military and reserve forces cannot be deployed within the States. Um, it's like the, the country's way of protecting the citizens from the government, like deploying forces on them basically. Yeah, right. But the National Guard can be deployed within the United States generally for things like natural disasters. You know, you'll see mm-hmm. you'll see them get deployed a lot for hurricane responses, things yeah. like that. <clears throat> so we were um activated for COVID and the National Guard has two branches, Army and Air Force. Most of the time they work separately. However, for a big response like this, we often have to do joint operations. So most of the the COVID operations were joint operations, meaning Army soldiers and Air Force airmen working together. Um, the when you have joint operations, you have a joint staff that mm. runs the operations and manages the operations. And there will be different staff sections within that joint staff that are responsible for different things. So the Joint Surgeon Office was responsible for like medical everything. (laughs) So we, um, we wrote medical policy. We, uh, tracked COVID within the national guard, within the state. We did contact tracing. Um, you know, we had to, we had to develop all of these standard operating procedures for like operating within a COVID environment. Um, you know, procuring COVID tests, figuring out, um, isolation protocols, quarantine protocols, all that kind of stuff. So, and then on top of that, there was a lot of like reporting to higher agencies. Um, like we worked a lot with FEMA. Um, we worked a lot with, um, the New Jersey department of health. Um, you know, my immediate boss was on a lot of calls with like the, adjutant general for the New Jersey National Guard, the governor of New Jersey, all that kind of stuff. Um, so <laughs> there was definitely a political side to it. Yeah, um, <laughs> But it was just like, it was funny because in the military, medical is usually like, oh, they're medical. They'll just do their own thing. They'll, they'll figure it out. Like they're just let them do what medical is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just like brush to the side. And for the first time, everyone cared about medical <laughs> because nobody understood COVID, right? including medical, yep. <laughs> but everybody expected us to understand it yeah. and know what the answers were. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was a very, uh, a, a very challenging experience, but um, probably one of the things in my life that I learned the most from. And yeah, like grew the most from. Cool. Um, so it, as hard as it was, I'm I'm grateful for it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds super stressful. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, New Jersey was one that was like destroyed by yes. COVID. New Jersey, yeah. New Jersey had a rough time. Um, not quite as bad as New York, but mm-hmm. still a rough time. Um, so that was 2020 through about half of 2021. Yep. And at that time, I luckily was still able to get a decent amount of training in. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting connected. So 20, so the 2020 open I did while I was deployed and then it was a whole year and a half until the next open at the beginning of 2021. And that was the first year they introduced quarterfinals, semifinals. Okay. So 2021, this was when North America was a single region mm-hmm. and you had to finish quarterfinals top 120 to qualify for semifinals. <coughs> and I finished quarterfinals uh, about 100 spots out of qualifying for semifinals in 2021. For anybody that doesn't know about CrossFit, that's really impressive by itself. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> super you. impressive. Um, so at the time, my coach was my best friend, Elena, mm-hmm. and she was... 21 fresh out of college had just finished her degree in like kinesiology sports something or other uh amazing coach amazing programmer very good understanding of programming physiology physiology of like everything that goes into it um but both of us were very naive to what it means to train as an elite crossfitter and what it takes to get to like an elite level in crossfit and so we had a lot of conversations about you know she she never wanted me to feel like i needed to stay with her just because we were friends yeah she was like if there's a better opportunity for you out there take it like i have faith that if we stay together doing this we'll figure it out Um, but if there's somebody out there who already knows how to do it and can get you there, like go, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a good friend because a lot of coaches would like not offer you that opportunity to leave them because if they see potential in you, they just want to keep you so that they can have the glory no matter how long it takes. Yeah. Not realizing that it'll stunt your growth, you know, and theirs, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I am so grateful to her. And, and she's still my best friend to this day. That's I awesome. love her so much. Um, but she, and the fact that she had all of this mindset at 21 just amazes me. Yeah. <laughs> That's really mature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but so I, I started kind of like asking around, sending some emails, mm-hmm. figuring out what to do. Um, I was talking with my nutrition coach, Meredith, and she was uh, working out of a gym in Kansas, Mm -hmm. Cobra Command CrossFit. And um, she was like, oh, I should, I should connect you with Jill. She coaches some games athletes Mm -hmm. and, you know, she's the owner of the gym here in Kansas and just like talk to her and, and see. Um, So I got on a phone call with Jill. She ended up inviting me out for a weekend in Kansas. I went out trained out there for a weekend, loved it. Yeah. Um, so in September or October of 2021, I ended up moving to Kansas. Um, I had just come off orders from the Jersey guard. I just finished all of the COVID stuff. 
um, packed everything up, moved to Kansas and went all in on CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So with all this, were you doing anything else work-wise besides the guard or is it just the guard? And then when, when you're done with the medical stuff, they, you don't have to work at all? How does that all work? So while I was uh, activated, I was full-time Army. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my only job. Okay. <clears throat> um, when I came off of those orders, yeah. I went back to just being a, a regularly drilling guardsman. Okay. Which is... Once you know, a month yeah, or something. Yeah, you go to drill once a month. You have annual training for two to three weeks every year. Um, I had tried to do an interstate transfer from the New Jersey guard to the Kansas guard. Mm -hmm. And I did some drills in Kansas with the unit that I was intending to transfer into. Whole process got screwed up because, you know, bureaucracy and American government and <laughs> we all know how that goes. Yeah. Paperwork is paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after about a year my interstate transfer still hadn't processed. My packet got lost I don't know how many times. Um, so I asked my New Jersey unit to just switch it to a resignation packet. Got it. Um, I, I was also getting to a point in my life where I felt like I had, I had given all I could to the Army mm -hmm. and I didn't enjoy it anymore. And what got you into the Army in the first place? Um, I got a recruiting letter before I started my freshman year of undergrad. Okay. And it was, you know, hey, join ROTC. We'll pay for your college. And I kind of laughed it off. Um, I showed it to my mom. And I was like, oh, I can join the army. And she's like, haha, good joke. And then my dad saw the letter. And he sat me down and he was like, hey, listen, this is, this is a real thing. Like, you could do this. And I was like, no, I can't join the army. There are a bunch of like superhuman whatever. At the time, I was uh, pretty overweight unathletic, hated any sort of exercise. Sure. Um, and I was like, they're all superhumans. Like, I can't yeah. be in the army. And, and he's like, well, that's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, the army is regular people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they become superhuman. Later yeah. On. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, but anyway, so we just, we just had a talk. Um, I am very similar to my dad in a lot of ways. And he told me that one of his biggest regrets uh, in his life is that he didn't somehow serve his country when he was younger, whether it was through the military or something else. Wow. Um, like he just, he felt, he had a lot of regret that he didn't find some sort of service that he could do. Um, and I, after I talked with him, I felt like if I had the opportunity to at least try it, and I didn't take that opportunity, I would also regret it. Yeah. So I was able to, you know, you, you can, you can be in the ROTC program without signing a contract up until your junior year of college. Wow. So I tried it out. You don't get money or anything like okay. that until you sign a contract. Um, but you can just be in the program. Mm -hmm. And so I tried it out my freshman year. I ended up enjoying it. I applied for a scholarship. They offered me a three year scholarship to pay for the rest of my college and once I accepted that scholarship, I had to sign my contract. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then you get you get the offer to come out by Jill yep. in Kansas. And then what happens? Yeah, so I moved to Kansas. Um, I started training. Uh, 
more volume than I ever thought I would be humanly capable of. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was interesting. It was very eye opening. Um, yeah. You know, like I had talked about, Elena and I were just going in blind, and like yeah. we didn't know what we didn't know. And when I started training with Jill, it was like, oh wow, like you literally train everything. Yeah. And like you you can't be successful in competitive CrossFit if you're not training everything. Yeah. Um how many hours a day were you training before this before going out there? With Elena, I was probably training about 2 to 3 hours a day. So were you living a pretty semi-normal life? Yeah. Like were you drinking, eating whatever? Um n- no, well I don't think I th- I stopped drinking um I stopped drinking when I got back from my, my deployment. Okay. Yeah. So I, I wasn't drinking at the time. Um, and I had a nutrition coach. So I was like pretty, pretty consistent with my nutrition. You sure. know, not maybe not quite as strict as I am now. Okay. Um, but still like considering it. And it was like, it was a big part of what I did. Sure. Um, but, you know, I was working. I was yeah. doing all these other things that... Um, I don't do anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're living a semi-normal lifestyle. Like people wouldn't look at you and think like, holy shit, this girl is like crazy. No. Yet. No. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then so what's like the response from people when you're like, yeah, I'm going to do the thing. I'm moving to fucking Kansas. That's where you went, right? Not Kentucky, Kansas. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those two states. <laughs> you go to, you go to Kansas. What's like the response from people? How do they view it? What are they people saying? People thought I was crazy. Yeah. Because uh, it family, is crazy. My family thought I was crazy. My yeah. dad thought I was making a huge mistake. Really? He was like, what are you going to do? Like this, like how are you going to make a living? All this kind of stuff. Because he did not fully understand what I was doing. Right. I remember getting a phone call from my brother maybe about six months after I moved to Kansas. And he had just watched one of the... Um, fittest on earth documentaries okay. about one of the CrossFit games. Yeah. And he calls me cause it just like popped up on Netflix for him one day. Sure. And he calls me and he goes, he goes, Aliyah, I just watched this documentary. Um, is this what you do? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to get to the CrossFit games. Yeah. Is what that was about. And he was like, holy shit. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you like, when you say you work out, like, I never understood that this is what you meant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um, I think once my dad saw how serious and dedicated I was to it mm-hmm. when I moved to Kansas, he started to become more understanding of like, okay, this is a real thing. Yeah. And then I think what really opened his eyes was when he came and watched me at semifinals this year. Mm. And I think he was more excited for me to be at semifinals than I was. <laughs> That's so cool. Good. Like he, I, I could hear him yelling on every single workout. Um, all of our phone calls since semifinals, yeah. he's just like, you're going to make it next year. I, I know you can do it. Like, I know you've got more in the tank. That's so cool. I can feel it. Like, you need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so when you when you moved, though, to Kansas originally, too, I keep going back to this because I keep forgetting <laughs> to ask you. But, like, 
you don't have income at the time, right? Like you're just moving out with no prospecting like income at all. Yeah. Moving with a savings account. I I remember you telling me that you literally were like, I have, I don't think you told me a number, but you're like, I have X amount of savings. I don't have a job. I'm working out deals with like my PT and some food company. I think you were, you have like a food prep company, right? Uh, And my nutrition coach. Your nutrition coach. And you're like, and I'm just doing it. And I too, I'm the person that's like, you need to follow your dreams, all this stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) this bitch is fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) She has no, but like, but I, I envy it so much, you know, because I would love to have the same opportunity that you have, obviously, but I admire it. I think it's amazing. So when you do it, like what's going through your head? Like what makes you finally be like, dude, fuck it. I have to do this shit. Yeah, I think it was. Okay, so I had saved enough money from my deployment that I knew I could make it about two years on my savings account. And I had talked with Jill about. How do you do math like that? Like, how do you know that? Minimum just hear her talking about all those experiments and stuff? Yeah, but. That's probably easy for her. But for me, I'm like, okay, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like doomsday stuff. But I'm like, my windshield has broken this year. <laughs> oh, I didn't consider any year. of that okay. stuff. <laughs> so you're just thinking just rent, like, rent, minimum. bills, groceries, gas. Like, what are the things that I pay on a monthly basis? Yeah. Made a spreadsheet, made some estimates, said, all right, I can probably make it two years, give or take a couple months. Yeah. Um, and then I had talked with Jill about, you know, potential opportunities to do like some administrative stuff for the gym. Um, I ended up getting my L1 shortly after I moved out there and I started coaching at the gym. Cool. Um, so there were, and, and at the time I was also in the guard. Um, so I had a little bit of income from drill weekends as well. Um, so there, there were opportunities to kind of supplement my savings account. Sure. Um, but. And, and actually, so I, before I moved, I was about a year and a half, a, a year to a year and a half into the application process for the FBI. Um, pause, pause, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay, we got to restart. This is the last time I'm going to restart. All right. Okay, so we're a year and a half into an application process for the FBI. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So this was one of the things when I came back from my deployment, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life right before COVID happened. And I was submitting applications. And one of the applications I submitted was to the FBI to be a special agent. Um and you wanted to take down russians and shit yeah that's more cia oh okay <laughs> fbi is more domestic <laughs> Got it. Okay. that's like drugs and stuff right? oh okay. yeah all right <laughs> My drugs bad. gangs that yeah. kind of yeah. stuff sweet um white collar crime blue yeah. collar crime yeah. <laughs> um so i had started an application for the fbi um you go through a phase one written test you go through a phase two interview process and then you go through a background check and a polygraph Hmm. and your results from your phase one and your phase two are good indefinitely unless at some point in the future they change the application process. But as long as that is the application process, if you pass phase one, it's good forever. 
if you pass phase two, it's good forever. Wow. At the time that I decided to move to Kansas, I had passed phase one. I had passed phase two. I had done my polygraph and they were well into my background check. Um, I had been talking with the applicant coordinator and she had basically told me, you will most likely be receiving an offer to Quantico within the next week or two. Wow. <laughs> and I what said, the heck? thank you, but I would like to withdraw my effort. <laughs> oh <my laughs> what? Okay, this is, okay, I, I'm getting my time. So this is before Kansas or you're in Kansas? This is before I moved to Kansas. So she's telling you that you might actually be in the FBI and you're like, CrossFit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay, all right. And so at the time, um, I was 29, okay. I think. Um, this is like a year ago. Two years. Two, years two, ago. two and almost three years ago. Okay. Um, I, I knew that if I... I knew that I had... I had the potential to make it further in the sport of CrossFit. Yeah. And I knew that if I had an opportunity to pursue that mm -hmm. and I didn't try it, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And I would always wonder, what if? Yeah. Um, when I withdrew my application and moved to Kansas, the original plan was I'm going to give myself two years. And whatever happens in two years, I will reapply to the FBI. Mm-hmm. I would go back basically just into the background check process. So they would redo the polygraph and the background check. Everything else, like my application from the rest it of it, would still be good. So it would be a much shorter process. Um, you can apply to the FBI up until, I think, the age of 35. And with my um, active service years from the military, I think I would have been able to push it to like 38 or 39 maybe. Nice. Um, so I knew I still had time to go back to that if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't closing the door on that forever. Um, so I moved to Kansas. I said, I'm here for two years. Whatever happens, happens. And then I'll go back into the FBI. About six months into Kansas, <laughs> I realized fitness is my passion. Fitness is my life. Fitness is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so I... Obviously, I still could go back to the FBI route if I wanted to for at least the next couple years. Um, right now, I have no plans to do that just yeah. because um, I I am so happy and fulfilled in the fitness space. And I, I could see myself staying in this space for the rest of my life and being happy for the yeah. rest of my life. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's time for your That's questions. fucking awesome. Yeah. No, no, no. I guess I want to just dive a little bit deeper on okay. that. So, I mean, obviously a huge sacrifice is just picking up and moving, right? And just like leaving your home base already to go there. But what are the other things that you really feel like you have had to sacrifice to to make this dream a reality? Um. Yeah. I mean, so a big part of it is like moving, leaving everything, you know, I had already left my family mm -hmm. to move to New Jersey for grad school. Um, and then when I left New Jersey to move to Kansas, I felt like, I felt like I was leaving family again in New Jersey yeah. because I had built up this support system on the other side of the country while my family was still in California. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, six years later, I'm just leaving. Yeah. Um, I, I had opportunities to pursue, um, I, in addition to applying to the FBI, I also applied to the New Jersey state police. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up withdrawing my application from them. (laughs) Because they were going to hire you? (laughs) Well, I was still in the process, but I had passed the physical, I had passed the written test. She's a nar. Uh, The FBI and the cop. You know, they're going to be like, this Aaliyah Miller is just applying to all these jobs. (laughs) And then she withdraws her application. Something is wrong. Something's wrong with her. Just a lost soul trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And then you found it. Um, But I I had opportunities through the National Guard to pursue a career in the Army. There were a number of full-time opportunities that I could have taken in the national guard that mm. I turned down because I knew it wasn't what was going to make me happy. Yeah. Um, you know, I always thought when I left New Jersey, it would be to go back to my family in California. Mm-hmm. And instead I moved to the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it like, it's really hard. My family is really important to me and it's really hard to be so far away from them, especially right now. Um, you know, my brother has four kids and wow. I am not, getting to be around watching my nieces and nephews grow up, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is really sad. I, I visit when I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, <laughs> there's also the financial side of it. Like, um, I moved to Kansas with a savings account that any sane person probably would have invested <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or saved for an emergency. And I decided that that was just going to be my two years worth of rent money. <laughs> You when you're chasing like a dream though, you have to go all in. Yeah. Right? You can't like kind of do it because yeah. it won't kind of happen. And you know? that was I feel like that was where I was at. Like yeah. I had like eighty-five percent committed mm-hmm. and I was only getting eighty-five percent results. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, if I want to get the hundred percent results that I'm looking for, I need to commit a hundred percent. And 100%. to me, that was my life now becomes Every decision I make is how is this going to get me to the CrossFit Games? Yeah, that's how it has to be. So when when people are saying that you're crazy, like, is it getting to your head at all? No. What do you think? No, no. Are you just kind of like fuck you? Uh, not that. It's more like you're too nice for that. <laughs> it's more like yeah, you probably think I'm crazy, but that's okay because yeah. I know this is what I want to do. Yeah, and I know that this is making me happy. So like, go ahead, think I'm crazy. I'll be all right. Have you always <laughs> been that way? Like that? Kind oh, absolutely of not. No? Absolutely not. Um, I had a lot of self-esteem issues growing up, middle school, high school, college. Um, I really didn't start to like truly feel confident in myself until I started CrossFit. And what was the shift? Um, so I think a big part of it for me was like understanding what I'm capable of initially on a physical level and then understanding that 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 those physical capabilities are largely due to my mental capabilities like understanding what I'm mentally capable of to push myself in the gym to develop those physical capabilities and so um just like really just understanding that I am I am strong. I am capable. You know, all those like 
daily affirmations. Yeah, yeah. Thing, the cheesy shit. But yeah, the cheesy yeah. shit works. It does. You got that from CrossFit though? Yeah. You're part of the, you're <laughs> in the military and you had a neuroscientist. <laughs> You know, it came from CrossFit yeah. after doing, I mean, because yeah. both those things are like huge accomplishments on their own. So CrossFit, you're just like, it's a choice. I just decided to work out one day, you know, I get it because I can relate. CrossFit has taught me so much about myself that I didn't know beforehand. Yeah. But I find it interesting that you were already military. You had a PhD or you, um, that pseudo master. <laughs> but I think, I think part of it was a lot of my insecurities came from, being uncomfortable in my body okay. and being uncomfortable with my physical appearance. Yeah. Um, and so the initial like the initial mental transformation, I think was sparked by my physical transformation Sure. and starting to realize. So in like part of it was, you know, losing weight and starting to be more happy with my physical appearance. Yeah. And then that turned into realizing that my physical appearance doesn't matter and just like being proud of what my body is capable of, regardless of physical appearance. Sure. And then that developed into being proud of what my mind is capable of. And yeah. it, it kind of just like snowballed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I do like it sounds cheesy, but CrossFit truly did change my life. That's really interesting to me too, because you come from neuroscience. <laughs> you know, that you're like, CrossFit taught me what my mind is capable of, not the book, you know. Well, that's because my neuroscience was so nitty gritty yeah, that I could yeah. never make the connection. <laughs> sure. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. Cause I feel like um for me at least, CrossFit like showed me like I don't know, I guess yeah, the same thing. Like what you're truly capable of. I grew up my 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 um my childhood was really hard, really rough. I went through a lot of adversity, but CrossFit for some reason showed me like that no matter what, I can just like get through it because you're fucking choosing to die every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that shit that people always say like for ice baths, like super popular. They're like choose adversity today <laughs> because it shows you a better tomorrow or whatever. But it's so true. Yeah, and, and I think I think another big part of it for me was also the community in CrossFit. That's and I know huge. everybody always yeah. talks about the CrossFit community and it's probably over-talked at this point. But um it was it, I had um I had a lot of issues with personal relationships growing up and okay. I had a really hard time making friends throughout most of my life through college. Um and when I showed up to a CrossFit gym it was just like this group of people that just embraced me no matter what. And yeah. like, they didn't care what I looked like. They didn't care um, what I was wearing. Like, they didn't care about any of that stuff. They just cared that I showed up. As long as you like CrossFit. I put the work in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which actually, I would, I would tend to disagree with you. I think that the community aspect of CrossFit, I think it's gotten lost. Um, because being new to it, <clears throat> and I don't want this to be a total CrossFit like talk, but... <laughs> This is something that I'm really passionate about with the CrossFit space is the community aspect because in no other fitness like modality do you find that type of community. And community is so important. And I think COVID highlighted that, how important yeah. that social aspect is and the community aspect is for people's well-being in general. You know, a lot of people that I know that are like in the bodybuilding world or even powerlifting, they're sad, you know, like because yeah. they don't have the same support group. Not that everybody's trying to be a competitive CrossFitter. And those people are probably not 
you can't lump them in with the community aspect yeah. as much. But I think that the community part needs to be talked about more. More people would actually be like wanting to join it yeah. if they realize how much it changed people's lives. But anyway, you move to Kansas. You have you you can't see family. You say whatever to people that don't care or that that think you're crazy. <laughs> What are, what are like the things that you have had to sacrifice and continue to sacrifice to like make this dream a reality? Yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of it is just like, I, I could very easily go out and start a career in some desk job or whatever and have a very comfortable life, you know, uh, find a partner, settle down, start a family, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm aware that what I am doing, trying to pursue this goal of making the CrossFit Games, I'm not giving myself the opportunity to do those things. I, I don't have a, a, um, like a solid career right now. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for money right now. Um, I am not out meeting people trying to find a partner I'm I'm pushing you know 32 and I still (laughs) that's so young (laughs) but when you think about like I want to have kids one day yeah Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm gonna have that opportunity um yeah you will (laughs) but I get I get what you're saying but yeah yeah yeah, it is definitely something that you're pushing back yeah because like for me it's like okay well if I want to have kids, that means I need to find a partner. If I want to find a partner, that means I need to either be going out and meeting people or be on these dating apps and, and meeting no. people. And <laughs> and I just, I don't have the time. Yeah. And You'll I meet someone that, in CrossFit. Yeah, you will. That's how we met. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that like if I did meet somebody, I wouldn't have the time to devote to them right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big part of it. You know, another, another part of it, I've, because of the struggles that I had growing up with making friends, now that I do have like really solid supportive friend groups, mm-hmm. I get really sad when I can't do things with them. Mm-hmm. And so much of our society revolves around eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't drink and I... And Except very... with Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> oh, I told you that story. <laughs> you told That's a story for a different time. <laughs> I have, in fact, gotten drunk with Jeff Bezos. <laughs> That's um, a <laughs> one of the perks of going to Princeton. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and like you know, my friends always want to go out to eat and. Most of the time I have to say no just because I know or or if I do go, I, you know, I'm sitting there with my Tupperware of rice and chicken breast yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I know that if I if I go and I eat out at a restaurant, you know, a, every once in a while. Yeah, totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like like my friends want to go out to dinner every Friday night. And if I go out to dinner every Friday night. I'm just not, that's, that's going to pull me farther from my goals. You'll lose sleep. Um, yeah. Macros sleep, might not be right. I, I, my training suffers the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's just so many things that go into it. And so a lot of times I have to say no when people want to do things. Um, or if I do do things, then I end up 
sacrificing recovery or whatever it may be. Um, and it, there are ways that I found to work around that. Like <laughs> they really like to go to this Korean barbecue place and that's super nice for me because I know, okay, I just need to plan for like a cup of white rice and a bunch of protein. Yeah. And I bring my scale and I weigh out all my meat as I eat it. And You're it's that great. Person, huh? <laughs> I am that person. You have to be. But, but it's a way that I have found to still be able to do those things with my friends mm-hmm. and not sacrifice to the extent that I would otherwise be sacrificing to sure. my goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know that they're looking at you like she's the one. Like she's <laughs> like they're pro- they're probably so proud of you too, you know, and they don't look at it any bad way. Yeah, oh, it's they expect it. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, did Aaliyah bring her scale tonight?" Yeah, she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. So, yeah. Sweet, dude. Well, I think that you should ask the last three questions. So, um every every guest, we have the same three questions okay. that we ask at the end. Oh boy. Um, I don't think they'll be hard for you. No, they're, they're, I, I already know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> the other two answers we'll see, but this answer I already know. What is your number one biggest goal right now? Make to the CrossFit Games. Knew that. <laughs> I could have answered it. Yeah. Um, and then the last two questions um, are kind of like opposites of each other. Okay. So um, it's... What are you willing to sacrifice to get there? And what are you not willing to sacrifice to get there? Yeah, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice material possessions, money, you know, um, e- eating out with friends, all that kind of stuff, like um, social opportunities, uh, short-term sacrifice in potentially, you know, moving my personal life forward. Um, the things I'm not willing to sacrifice, my family, my values, um, my, uh, like who I, who I am as a person. I will not change who I am as a person and I will not go against my values in pursuit of this goal. Yeah, that's awesome. That's sweet. I think that's, that's a great place answer. to end it. Yeah, <laughs> so in case anybody was wondering, this is what going all in looks like. <laughs> yes. This is literally what going all in looks like. <laughs> wondering how you're going to get cash, training all the time, scheduling Saying, things around. see ya to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. I can't believe that. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Like, did you see his face when you said that? <laughs> well, because I was like, she's going to snitch if I pull out a bag of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I don't smoke weed. So. <laughs> but dude, thanks so much for being on our pod. You're our thanks fourth for having me. Fourth episode? Yeah. Fourth. I yeah. mean if we count yours and mine. <laughs> yeah. Fourth episode, third guest, and uh it was a pleasure and I hope people I mean, they'll love you just as much as we do. So Yeah, it's 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 really um awesome to hear from somebody who's so passionate about their goals. So Cause you have like the same mindset that I have with the ability to like actually execute. Cause you don't have children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that does add an extra complication to things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> big so, complication. So now we just execute as good as we can. Yep. Yeah. With the kids. You know? <laughs> so anyway, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being here, Leah. And uh, like, subscribe. We'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks, dude. Yeah. That was really good. That was so good. Yeah. That was literally. It was, oh, it was. It was exactly. Um, exactly what we're looking for. Yeah.